want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. It's where we'll begin today. We will be going to Thessalonians, but uh, we're going to lay a little groundwork. This is Countdown to Armageddon. This is part two of our series that we started last week. Last week, I gave an overview of what's going to be happening in the future, at least up to the kingdom age. We'll get more in detail about the kingdom age towards the end of this series. But um, today we want to, all those things that we listed, we have 15 things that I mentioned last week. Today we're going to start unpacking those and start looking at them a little bit more in detail. And of course, the first, and for the believer of today, the most exciting of all is what we call the rapture of the church. You might say, doesn't that mean that, you know, you get hurt in your groin or something? No, that's a rupture. This is a rapture. They're not in any way related. So keep that in mind. And by the way, the church, all believers will go at the rapture. There's a false teaching going around today that says, well, only the spiritual believers go at the rapture and the carnal ones get left behind, okay? People just cannot let this works for salvation thing go, can they? I mean, it's unbelievable. No, friend, every believer goes at the rapture, every believer. Now, according to the Bible, there is an event that is coming that will be one of the most important events in the history of the world. What I have to say today, skeptics will see it as sensational. It is not sensational, but it is spectacular, and it is true, and it is going to happen. This event could take place at any moment. This event could take place before I get it turned the page on my notes today. Jesus could come at any moment. It will launch, this event will launch the beginning of devastating changes in the world in which we live, not to mention cataclysmic destruction worldwide. This is not hype. This is true. The world will never be the same once the rapture takes place. Now, we believe that the rapture will take place before the seven-year tribulation. More about that here later in the message and down the road in this series. But let me say this. Why do we believe the church will be taken out first? Well, there's many, many reasons, and we've detailed them in detail in the past. We'll touch on some a little later in the message today. But let me say, we have a picture of this God dealing with his people all the way going back to the Old Testament. We see Noah and the ark. What happened? Those who were righteous, okay? The world was warned over and over and over. For over 100 years, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The world was warned of impending judgment, the judgment that was going to come. And God provided the way of salvation through the ark. And anybody who wanted to get on the ark could but there were very few who did. The ark was the way to get delivered out of the trouble that would come, this worldwide flood that destroyed all living flesh on the earth, except that which was in the ark. Listen, if you trust Jesus Christ today as Savior, you will be delivered from the tragedy and the trouble and the tribulation which is coming. 
soon. We see the same situation. As much as, as Lot was a carnal believer, he was not a godly believer, okay? Old Testament saint. He was not godly in the way he lived his life. And yet what did God do? God warned him. They said, listen, you and your family need to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah because we are going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is coming on Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, they got out reluctantly, but they got out and then God poured down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Just like God poured out the worldwide flood on the world after Noah and his family got in the ark. By the way, it's kind of interesting because God is the one who shut the door on the ark. Picture of eternal security in Christ. When you trust Christ as Savior, you are shut into Christ. You are safe and secure no matter what. But we see this down through the ages. Now today we are, we are talking about the rapture of the church. All those who have trusted, get this today. Let me try to um, flesh this out, okay, or, or make this to where we can understand. All those who have trusted Jesus Christ alone as Savior, apart from good works, probably millions of people all over the world will suddenly disappear from the earth simultaneously. They will just be gone. There will be missing drivers from cars. Doctors who are performing surgeries will all of a sudden, they're in the surgery room, in the operating room, they'll be gone, disappear. Patients on the table will disappear. Imagine that. Politicians, some of them. That's not a joke. <laughs> some of them will disappear. Some of them won't. Teachers will disappear. If they are in class that day, they will maybe turn around and put something on the board and all of a sudden the chalk drops to the floor and they are gone. Pilots and airplanes will disappear. Athletes will disappear. Nowadays, they're all at home on their couch, okay? Because so much being canceled. Some preachers will disappear. You might say, won't they all? No, they won't all disappear. Some, though, will disappear. I believe all children under the age of understanding will disappear. And I believe that includes babies in the womb. This will cause a certain level of chaos on the planet. I don't know the level. That's why I call it a certain level of chaos. I don't know how chaotic it will be, but there will be chaos. The world will be wondering, where did these people go? All these people all over the world have suddenly disappeared. It's going to happen. It's real. It's in the Bible. People say, well, aren't there signs, though, of, of the rapture? No, there are no signs for the rapture. There are signs for the coming tribulation period, which comes after the rapture, but there are no signs for the rapture. Now, this is significant because, yes, friends, we can see very clearly through world events, and we'll talk more about this in the future, we can see through world events that we are getting close to the tribulation period. If we're getting close to the tribulation period, we are that much closer to the rapture of the church. But there are no signs for the rapture. 
Now, before we get into details, though, on the rapture, and I'll explain where that word came from, let me explain an important concept. The church, okay, when I say the church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. The church and the church age in which we live, this period of time from Pentecost to the rapture, that period of time was a mystery in the Old Testament. It was not something that anybody understood whatsoever, okay? It was also a mystery in the Gospels. Now I'd say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus mention the church a few places, okay? Yes, he did, but he never explained it. Now, the word church means called out assembly. They didn't see it like we see it today. Why? Because it was something completely new that had never been revealed before. You might say, where's that in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why we went to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to see this. Paul is talking about this church age in which we live. And he says in Ephesians 3, 4, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, now he's writing around AD 60 or so, okay? Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here's what the mystery was, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. It wasn't that Gentiles would be saved. That's in the Old Testament very clearly. It's that the Gentiles would couple with the Jews in this one thing we call the body of Christ. It would make a new entity, Jew and Gentiles. Now, when the church started, the Jews had a really hard time with that, even the ones who got saved. It wasn't until years later that they started understanding, oh, this is something new. And yes, it is something new. It was a mystery. Now, in the Bible, a mystery is not where God is saying, no, nope, I'm not going to let you understand it. No, nope, I'm going to keep it from you. Here's a clue. Here's a clue. But no, nope, I'm not going to let you know. No, that's not a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is simply a truth not revealed until the proper time. Okay? It's there, but it's not revealed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 also refers to it. It says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Okay? So this church age in which we live was a mystery in the Old Testament and in the Gospels, all right? And then in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that's when the church was born. And then since then, it's, it's been revealed and we understand this period of time. But it is a, an approximate and approximate. Okay, we can't give exact numbers on this. I would say an approximate period of time of, of around 2,000 years, at least 2,000 years, it seems at this point, this period of time, the church age. Now understand, before that, he was dealing with Israel. After that, he's dealing with Israel. Not focused on Jew and Gentile, just Jew. The church age is a parenthesis. When the rapture takes place, we are going out, and then he's going to start dealing with Israel again. That seven-year period of time in the Bible is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob had his name changed to what? Israel. 
Israel. It's not the time of the church's trouble. The church is gone. We'll give you many reasons in the future on that as we go through this series. So let's cover the questions. Number one is this, what is the rapture of the church? I've kind of explained it, but let me explain it further. It is the literal event of when Jesus Christ will descend from heaven and call out of the world all true believers in himself. We will disappear from the world, the Bible says, in a moment to meet him, now this is key, in the air. The ladies who sang this morning, the theology was sound. The dead in Christ will rise. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. This is different than the second coming back to earth. And that'll take place at the end of the tribulation to where Jesus comes back. And by the way, we will be coming back with him. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives and he will set up his kingdom on this planet. The rapture is different. He doesn't come all the way down to earth. He comes and he stops and he calls up us up to himself. It is the fulfillment of what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14. I want to show that to you. Turn with me over to John chapter 14. This event is coming. I know it sounds spectacular. It sounds sensational. And it is. But see folks where people will come up with stuff in the world and they'll hype things up. This is not hype. This is truth. This is truth. John 14 in verse 1 it says, Jesus says, let not your heart be true. Now, here, he's talking about the rapture. When you parallel this with 1 Thessalonians 4, it lines up exactly. But he didn't explain it. See, he tells it, but he doesn't explain it. He kept it a mystery at this point. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Notice that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and notice the language, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, where is that? Heaven. There you may be also. So he's in heaven now. People say, where's Jesus? He's in heaven. What's he doing? He's preparing a place for us. He's coming back. When? We don't know that. It's imminent. At any moment, he's coming back. But when he comes back, he's going to come and he's going to receive us. He's there in heaven. He's coming back. He's going to receive us to himself and take us to heaven. That is the rapture. Now, you might say, well, what about this? After the service last Sunday, I had had a man come up to me and he says, "Uh, where is the word rapture in the Bible? He wasn't being argumentative. He was just wanting to know. And I said, the word rapture is not found in our English Bible. It comes from the Latin word rapturo, which means to be caught up. Now, while we do not see the English word rapture in our Bibles, we do see the phrase to be caught up in our Bibles. And we are going to see that in 1 Thessalonians 4 in just a minute. It's an interesting word. A harpizo is the... Um, uh, herpezo, excuse me, is the, is the word. And it means to be caught up, to snatch away. It, it can be to pluck or to pull. 
one of the places it's translated in our King James is to take by force. I like that. You know, even if I wanted to stay, I can't. Now, I don't want to stay. I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? I hope you are. You better be. So let's look at the key passage on the rapture. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. A Christian who is not looking forward to seeing Jesus is a Christian who has gotten too comfortable and too worldly in this world in which we live. The love of our lives ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Anxious, excited to see him. Yes, satisfied to stay if if that's his will because he's still got work for us to do. What did Paul say? He says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul said, I'm good either way, but if you gave me a choice, I want to go home. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Paul's writing to this church in Thessalonica, and there was question as to what had happened to those believers. See, these people were taught Jesus could come back at any time. He could rapture us home at any time. But some of the Thessalonian saints had died. And so there was question, what, what happened to those who had already died and not experienced the coming of the Lord? What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? Well, Paul addresses that. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. In other words, I want you to have the knowledge. I want you to understand. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Okay, now who are those who are asleep? Well, that's some of you here this morning. (laughs) Just kidding. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Okay, so we we see this. First of all, what is the rapture? Well, we've defined that. But secondly, how can you be sure that you are gonna go up at the rapture? Now look at it in verse 14. It says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again as the payment for our sins is what it's getting at there. Now there's two aspects to this. First, you need to believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. Now what does that mean? It means that you understand you're a sinner, that you cannot save yourself. And if you die in your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. And understanding your predicament You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. And you understand God provided Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin so that you could go to heaven. And that he died and that he rose again. And the Bible says if you just simply put your faith in him, he will save you forever. He'll give you everlasting life. And with that, reservations. And with that, you'll go at the rapture or... If you die before then, uh, dear saint in our church uh, just passed away last night, what happened to him? He died physically, but he went directly into the presence, into the arms of Jesus. You might say, well, so then where does it go from there? Well, let's look at it. We need to believe in Christ as our savior, okay? So you notice in verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. I think, again, there's two aspects of that. One, you need to trust him as your savior. Jesus said in John 14, which we've already looked at, in verse six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Thomas said, show us the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In other words, he is the Savior. There is no other. Over here, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, what does it say? For by grace are you saved, through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is it you're believing in? Oh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, friend, it doesn't just mean that you believe he's a historical figure who lived and died on the cross. It's that you understand he's God in the flesh who died on the cross for your sin. And he paid the price that you deserve to pay. Let me illustrate it. Pretending this is you and me and let my wallet represent our sin. We're all sinners. All of us are. That's common knowledge. We all do things wrong. We all do things that violate the standards and righteousness of the word of God. God loves us though. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, sin separates us from God. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin, not even one. You ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lost your temper? Have you ever thought more of something else than Jesus Christ and the God of the Bible? That's idolatry, by the way. We're all sinners. God says our sin has to be paid for, and if we do it, we're going to have to spend forever separated from God in hell. You got to be sinless to get into heaven. None of us are. Therefore, no matter how much good work you do, it's not going to take away your sin. You can try to cover your sin by good deeds, but you notice again what it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, not of yourselves. You're saved by faith in Christ. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when Jesus spoke John 3.16, by the way, he's the one who said it. I said, how do you know that? It's a red letter. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Jesus was talking about himself and what he was about to do. Watch this, friend. For God so loved the world, that's good news. That's you and me. God loves us. He doesn't hate us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This hand representing Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross, and when he went, he took all of our sin, my sin, your sin, all of it, your whole lifetime. He took it all upon himself and he made the payment, leaving us nothing to pay for and rose from the grave. And he says, if you believe or you trust in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you that very moment, everlasting life, a home in heaven, that very moment. Look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You won't go to hell, you'll go to heaven. Jesus is God who cannot lie. What he said is true. Trust him, take him at his word. If you put your faith in him as your savior, he'll save you in that moment you receive everlasting life. If it's everlasting, how long does it last? Forever. What if you still sin? All your sin was paid for you still have everlasting life. There are people who say, oh no, I believe, you know, you're saved by grace through faith, but if you, if you sin, if you sin really bad, then you'll lose your salvation. Well, then it wasn't everlasting, was it? You can't have it both ways. 
See, friend, if, you, if that's what you say or believe, what you're saying is that you have to behave to get to heaven. Yes, faith in Christ is necessary, but it's not enough. The Bible says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's only through what Jesus did on the cross. So how can you be sure to go up at the rapture? Well, verse 14, you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But secondly, just like Jesus died and rose again, believers can be assured that they will be resurrected. In other words, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what does that tell us? There is resurrection. How do we know we're going to be resurrected? How do we know this? Because Jesus is the first fruit. He came back from the dead. He is the the trailblazer on this, okay? And the fact that he came back from the dead proves there's life after death. And so this is important. What did Jesus say in John 11? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Everlasting life. And then he asked that important question. Believest thou this? Do you believe it? Well, you need to believe it, friend. Now back to 1 Thessalonians 4. We see in verse 13 again, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope, which is unbelievers. Unbelievers have no hope, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. One of the cults, Seventh-day Adventists, they believe in soul sleep, soul sleep. In other words, when you die, you don't actually go to be with the Lord, you Sleep. You kind of go in a, a, like, uh, this isn't their word, but I'm just describing, like comatose state. And you stay there with your body until the resurrection. Okay, that is not what the Bible teaches. You notice what Jesus said, or what the Bible says, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Where's he coming from? Heaven. So they're with him and they're coming back with him. To sleep in Jesus is not soul sleep. If anything, it's body sleep. Sleep here refers to those who have died, those believers who have died physically. But you notice they are with the Lord. Now, this is important to understand. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. Ephesians 3 talks about the whole body in heaven and earth. The whole body in heaven and earth. In other words, there are some Christians who have died and gone on to be with the Lord. They're the, they're the part of the body that's in heaven. The rest of us who are alive, we're the part that's still on earth. One day it's all going to be a reunion. What a reunion that's going to be. By the way, no one's going to be looking at, oh man, have they aged? Good grief, I don't even recognize them. They look 50 pounds heavier than when we were in school. We're going to have perfect bodies, amen? Amen. Perfect bodies, and we will all look better than we ever looked on earth. That's exciting. That's exciting. Now, what will happen 
at the rapture. Now, what are the mechanics of it? What are the, what's the order of the events? This is clearly answered in verses 15 through 17. It says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, in other words, we have not died yet, we're alive when the rapture takes place. We're living life and all of a sudden, gone. We hear the trumpet and gone. Faster than a (laughs) For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now that's a word that's changed meanings from when the King James put it here. The word means today, it means to precede or to go before. The bodies of the dead in Christ will be resurrected. This is explained in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, And with the trump of God, or the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ. In other words, those who have died to go be with the Lord, they're with the Lord, but their bodies are still here. Their bodies will be resurrected. As they come back, their body will be resurrected into a glorified body like the body of Jesus when he came back from the dead, and they'll be reunited with that body. Now, as their bodies are resurrected and go up, we then will be gathered with them, and our bodies will be immediately changed into a glorified body, and we will all go and we will see Jesus face to face. How exciting! Is that going to be? We which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the rapture. Okay? That's the rapture. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Do you see it? We are going up. It isn't that he's going to come all the way back to earth. No, we are going to go up. We're going to meet him in the air to meet the Lord. You notice it there? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. No parting. No parting. How exciting that is going to be. Hold your place here and look at 1 Corinthians 15. See, the mechanics, the details of the rapture were not known in the Old Testament. Now, by the way, the Old Testament prophesied there would be the first coming of the Messiah and there would be the second coming of the Messiah. It's all there in the Old Testament, by the way. Two comings of the Messiah. Many Jews don't even understand that. But it's very clear, and we'll see that in the future. What was not understood was the rapture of the church because they didn't understand the church. The church was not something they knew about. And so it only makes sense, right? If they didn't know about the church, why would they know about the rapture, right? Now, this is significant. Listen carefully. This is why when you read Matthew 24, which we're going to spend time on starting next week, I think it's Luke 22, if I'm not mistaken, And there's a passage in Mark, and it talks about the day of the Lord and the tribulation period, and then it talks about two in the field, one is taken, one's left, and all these kind of things. And people read that and they say, well, that's talking about the rapture. It's not talking about the rapture. 
It's not talking about the rapture. As a matter of fact, let me bend your mind a little bit on this. Two are in the field. One is taken, one's left. The one taken is taken to judgment, not heaven. It's clear from Luke's account. The one left is a believer who's left to go into the kingdom age in his natural body. I've never heard that before. Well, you'll see it very clearly in the future. The rapture is nowhere found in in, uh, Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. It's not there. When it talks about Jesus coming back, it's talking about at the end of the tribulation period. It's not talking about the rapture of the church because the church was a mystery when Jesus gave that. I know I keep saying it, but we need to understand how significant it is to properly understand the scriptures. Otherwise, you've got all these contradictions in scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Paul says, behold, I show you a a what? Mystery. I show you something that no one has ever seen before. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is the great verse of nurseries in churches. Some of you get it. (laughs) Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, not all of us as believers will die. Some of us will be alive when the rapture takes place. Folks, I don't say this just because I like the idea. I say this because I believe it with all of my heart. I believe we are the people who will see the rapture of the church. I believe that. And I say, ah, people have been saying it for decades. I get that. People were saying it when Paul wrote it. People were saying it during the early church, as we're going to see in just a minute. You might say, well, it didn't happen. Yeah, and we're about 2,000 years closer to it then. In a moment, you see that in verse 52? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In a moment, the word moment there is the word atomos. We get our word atom, an atom. In an atom, you know how small an atom is. In an atom of time is the idea. In a moment, it'll be faster than a blink. Imagine it. Here in church, we're do- going through a, a message here from the Word of God, and we're doing it. And I say, turn in your Bible over to Jesus. Just like that. Face to face. Forever. It'll be not only life-changing for us. Millions of people worldwide are going to disappear just like that. What will be left? Whatever they were doing. And now don't dwell on this next part. Your clothes will be left. But don't worry, because God is going to resurrect your body and we're going to have new occupation, you might say, in that new body. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful existence. In a moment, all believers will be taken. All believers, we shall all be changed. Now back to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18. It says this, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why is that such a comfort? Well, we're going to see this in the future here because the next thing that happens is the tribulation period. That's why. And Paul is saying, take comfort because you're going to go home to be with the Lord and then the day of the Lord will begin where God starts pouring out his wrath 
upon the earth. Not take comfort because you're going to be beaten up by the world system and with persecution. No, take comfort in these words because Jesus could come and take us at any moment. Do you see how it all fits? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, last question. When will the rapture take place? The answer to that is at any time. The Bible clearly teaches that we should see the rapture as an imminent event. Imminent meaning at any moment. Is there anything that must happen before the rapture takes place according to the word of God, according to God's calendar? An emphatic no. No. The disciples taught those of the church age Peter, Paul, James, John, and and they taught that the rapture could take place at any moment and that even in their lifetimes, they needed to be looking for it to take place at any moment, okay? The apostles were looking for it. They wrote to us under inspiration to look for the Lord to come back at any time. As a matter of fact, even what Jesus said in John 14, if you think about it, he told the disciples to not be troubled. He was going away, but he was going to come back. And he said this, to receive you unto myself. What was he saying? He didn't say, and those when I come back, far away from now, I'll receive them unto myself. He says, I'm going to receive you. He was teaching an imminent rapture, even in John 14. He told them, don't be troubled, for he would come again and receive them unto himself. There is no reason to promise them this unless he wanted them to see the rapture as an imminent event. Otherwise, why say it? It would have been deceptive to say that. No, he wanted them to see it that way. Let me just uh, quickly look at some scriptures. I'm going to give them to you. You can follow along on the screen, or if you're quick with your fingers, you can turn there. Ready, set, go. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 in verse 13. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This word looking, looking, it's translated in Luke 2.25. Do you remember Simeon? God says you won't die until you see the consolation, until you see the Messiah, you won't die. And it says he was waiting for the Messiah, same Greek word, looking. We need to be waiting for Jesus. What is that? Well, friends, that is, that is present tense. We need to be looking for Jesus at any time. Now, if I am supposed to be looking for Jesus at any time, that means that he could come at any time. That means there's no actual events recorded in Bible having to do with the tribulation period that have to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back, which means the rapture is to be seen as a pre-tribulational rapture. We're going out before the wrath is poured out. First John 2:28. And now little children, John is writing that between AD 90 and AD 95. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He says, "Now abide in Christ because if he shows up you won't be ashamed then." Now what is that teaching? It's teaching an imminent rapture. 
that Jesus could come back and take the church out at any moment. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. Paul was looking for Jesus to come back. Do you get it? Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now you might say, well, that could mean that he's near us. Well, that is true. But it could also mean he could come back at any moment. And that does mean that. 1 Thessalonians, you're in 1 Thessalonians, go over to chapter 1. It says in chapter 1, in verse 10, it says, and to wait and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Do you notice that here? Now here it's very clear. Verse 10, this points to a pre-tribulational rapture. They were taught to wait for Christ to come 2,000 years ago. Not only that, but it is linked to a promise of deliverance from the tribulation period. The wrath to come is referring to the tribulation. So they would be supposed to be waiting for Jesus to come to take them out before the tribulation begins. Pre-tribulational rapture. And I say, why do you spend so much time on this? Because more and more people are starting to believe in either mid-trib or pre-wrath or post-trib rapture that no, the church is going to go through some of the tribulation period. Uh-uh. No, it's not. No, it's not. Let me tell you something. Now, I know maybe lost people will watch this one day and they'll say, you people are crackpots. And you know what? We wish you weren't here. And we wish you Christians. If we could just get you Christians out of the way, things would be a lot better in this world. Gladly. We're ready to go. And friend, you can have what's left, but you're not going to want it. What you're going to go through is going to be awful. And I don't wish that on anybody. That's why we're, I'm preaching this message. I want you to go with me at the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, do you remember what it said? We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. We which are alive, Paul included himself. Why would he include himself? He didn't say they which are alive. He said we. It's because he believed Jesus could come back at any moment. Now, if this is true, then the rapture must take place before the tribulation. The time, according to Jesus, of the worst trouble that the world has ever seen or ever will see. The reason is that the tribulation has many signs to it. These are specifically spelled out in the book of Revelation and also in the prophets. One Bible teacher said this, quote, pre-tribulational rapture is what he's referring to. He said this, it is the only view that can honestly say that Christ could return at any moment and that nothing else has to happen before his return. Since all the other views believe that the church will go through at least part of the 70th week of Daniel before Christ returns to rapture it, those views cannot honestly say that Christ could return at any moment. According to those views, at least part of the 70th week of Daniel 9 has to transpire before Christ returns to rapture his church, unquote. Ain't going to happen. We are going out of here. We're going to leave before the tribulation begins. 
Now, we know we're close to the tribulation period. That being so, we're that much closer to when Jesus comes. I'm ready to go. And friend, I hope you are. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted in him to get you to heaven? He's the only way. Your good works are not going to help you. Your good works are not going to save you. It's only what Christ did on the cross that can provide salvation for you. Trust him as your Savior. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.